Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Babs Buzz. Nice to see you guys. Welcome if you're new, if you're an oldie but goodie. How you been? Have you been writing? Um, a couple of people had asked me off the boards why I do the show and, and why I keep coming back to uh, do this kind of thing for writers that have no credits and this, that, and the other thing if I'm trying to up my brand. And the truth of the matter is, as much as I want to up my brand, the fact that I'm interacting with new writers is actually keeping me very fresh when it comes to pitching. When I pitch on the phone, typically I get to do a log line and I get to express to the producers or whoever I'm talking to, director or the money person, just exactly why I think my writer's particular voice is good for either an open writing assignment, which is very hard to compete for, which I'll get to in a minute, or if I'm trying to uh, pitch a particular spec script, I will tell folks the reason why I think they need to read my writer and consider adding my writer and perhaps several, one or more of their scripts to their uh, slate. Now, as it happens, this is something that it really is. It's very much like there's an old story in the Bible. That, you know, they walk around the walls of Jericho and they just walk around seven times and then they yell and the walls come down. Well, that's pretty much what I do. Everything I do is repetitious. What keeps it fresh for me, believe it or not, is mostly scripts that I read that are new and fresh and I find them and doing the show. Doing the show keeps me very sharp and keeps me on my game. It also keeps me it allows me to stay this in this business. It's very easy to get negative quickly. It's very easy to become the target of petulant um, producers and directors who may just be struggling themselves. And if I can offer an uplifting word, I'm going to do it. I always present when possible, actually, without sounding like a Pollyanna. The, the glass is half full, and I try to cite the reasons why. And often, because I'm not in Hollywood, this gives me a distinct advantage. People, they underestimate me, which is very cool. And there's a deal we're working on now where the, the producer, he, he called me on Tuesday, and we talked about this particular writer. I'm not going to tell you who it is in case he gets the gig. I'll wait, um, because he's against two other very good writers. I mean, it can go any way. If he gets this gig, it would be kind of like... For this particular writer, it would be his turn because I've been a fan of his for a while and I'd like to see the stars line up, but we'll just see what, you know, the the, uh, the cosmos have in store for him. So why I do the show is because it actually keeps me sharp and fresh for you guys. And I believe that I can find fresh new voices. In fact, I have. Uh, and I found them from around the world. I mean, look at Mark, Martin Lancaster. I wouldn't have found him, I don't think, if I, had it not been for the show. I would not know Brett Martin, who's just a joy. I mean, inside and out, the guy's a gem. I, I wouldn't have met him. I, I would not know Ryan Lee. So in the end, I'm willing to listen to these pitches, instruct when I can, learn new information, and pass it along. Um, I did take a look at Morphine. Oh my God, what a well-crafted script. Wow. And Michael, forgive me, I forgot the writer's name, and I don't think I could pronounce it anyway. So perhaps you can find it. Very rough material. Very hard for someone like me to get my head around, but I know there's a very distinct market for it. Boy, if the right director gets their hands on it, it could be quite quite compelling, especially if the violence that's in it is not gratuitous and is presented in a very tactile and driving the story home way because the action that he chose to use 
pretty is is pretty riveting and pretty much gets you, you get the point. You really do. In the no excuses corner, I was sent a, a website called cliche.theinfo.org. You gotta love that, the cliche finder. So now, if you're not sure, um, you can be sure. But let's flip that coin for a moment. I happened to find out this was kind of an interesting coincidence as things happen in, in this business, the ether of what we do. Carson Reeves was writing about uh, where you, uh, there's a great article. It's, uh, um, I'll see if I can find it and send you the link, Michael. It's, uh, by the way, hi, Michael Honey Bunny. Um, it, it, this article, he was speaking about rules you can break and how to do it. And he speaks about cliches and really how important they are in many ways because they kind of reinforce certain stamps of personality and icon arcs for us. But when I'm talking about cliches, I'm just talking about things like, oh, she's thick as a brick, that kind of thing. But in, in the way he covered it was much more in-depth and more rich than I could have ever expressed it. So definitely give Carson Reeves a t- uh, take a look at his How to Bend the Rules article. The From the required, and we do mean required, reading corner. I have to talk to my secretary about these headings. No, I'm just kidding. Because I write them. Um, please read Plot Twist, A Survival of the Hollywood, Hollywood Screenwriter. Now, Michael has the link. We get WGA stats all the time, and it sucks, but we have to know what's going on. And when I read this article, it, it was very hard for me to bounce back that day. I had had a bad week anyway. I got one of those obnoxious cortisone shots on May 20th because I'd hurt my shoulder, and I'd been nursing that back to health. And uh, this article comes in, and it was required reading by Ed. Ed said, here, kid, here's three articles get to know all of them, so I'm passing them on to you. They're from Ed. By the way, think good thoughts about Ed's wife, Anethea. She had her spleen removed, so good uh, prayers go out to her and, and good thoughts for Ed that he's doing all the cooking. And he says, I happen to be a pretty good cook, and that's the rumor anyway. So um, he, he sends me these stats, and WGA stats are a peculiar lot because what they offer is the sad statistical truth of exactly who is doing what how and why, but because of the economy and other things, the business, the way it's changing itself and the way it's kind of morphing into this sort of indie slash found footage slash over-the-top comic book slash killer drama industry that is finding its way to Netflix and Amazon and all that, this wonderful digital media, a lot of writers who would have been working all the time are finding now that they have to kind of duke it out with other writers to get the gig, which means then, if I'm to translate that, because I deal in Realville, the reality of that means that my writers are going to have that much harder a time to get any attention from the majors. Now, flip that coin. That said, great stories will surface. They always do. Um, you guys know that I'm a huge fan of Craig Clyde as my client and that uh, Jason Bortz, who's my client, and Pia, who is my client, there's um, there's not a lot that they can really do wrong, okay? What they need is luck. So they have boots on the ground in different places, like indie film fests. Uh, they do critiques. They're constantly touching the blog. They, they get with me and they tell me, go here, go there, call here, call there, and I'll do that. Uh, the WGA statistics really are tied to those members who are WGA, obviously, but it is very enlightening for someone like me to see where I'm spinning my wheels and where I can do make better use of my time. And that is one of the reasons why I hang on my I hang my hat on coverage so much because I'd rather be pitching 
than dealing with reading scripts in toto if I could get someone else to read them for me, i.e. coverage. And if I see things in the coverage I like or it piques my interest, I'm going to grab it. Um, so so that's why I, I kind of harp on coverage a little bit. But, th- but that aside, the statistics don't lie. And the agents who represent the existing writers, especially those, oh, my God, especially those who live in Los Angeles and the, and the nearby area, they're going to get the work. So, and that, and that speaks mostly true for television, although that is changing slightly, too. I'm going to do a little research on that and get back to you on that. That's got an interesting little bent to it. Um, as you know, a lot of you guys know X-Files was filmed in Canada, even though it, was, it, it stemmed from Hollywood. Uh, and, and in Canada, all these people got all this work. It was just very exciting. So, And TV did very well sort of as a result of this kind of, hey, look what's going on in Canada. You know, it's cheap to shoot up here. Let's, let's get this rocking. So that kind of thing. So um, survival of the Hollywood screenwriter, don't let it get you down. It's just good to know what's real. We have to know these things. From the book corner this time, I'm going to talk about really quickly. I'm going to mention it actually in passing. Uh, this is required required reading by Ed to me. I have not gotten the book yet, but I probably will if I have time, Ed. Sorry. I can't help it. Uh, 43 Ways to Finance Your Feature Film, 3rd Edition by John Cohn. Okay, John Cohn. This guy, <laughs> there isn't anything he doesn't know. Okay, he just knows everything. He just does. And there's nothing snarky or arrogant. All the guy wants to do is help. So get his book, learn this. The article itself is so refreshing because it's a succinct look at all of the things that can do to get a film set up and where the money comes from and how it channels in. And it's very, very cool. I'm very delighted that Ed, uh, in his sort of surfing wisdom, that he found that and passed it on to me. So 43 Ways to Finance Your Feature Film 3rd Edition. For sure, take a look at that. And the article actually is offered by Baseline. And it's called an overview of film finance. And I believe I sent that link to Michael. If not, I'll find it for him. And this is especially true for people who are really starting out in film and don't know what it takes to get a film set up. Now, I don't want you guys, I, I often don't talk about this thing for, for this stuff for a reason. Are you listening? Say yes. Darling, this is important. I don't want to discourage folks. I don't want you to be put off by the business of it. I can take care of the business for you. That is why I'm here. I'm not going to say who it was, but I got an email from someone who said, oh, my God, Barb, I can't believe I did this. I should have called you first. I am a dope. Now, the guy's not a dope, but you know for sure he's never going to make that same mistake again, right? Please take advantage of the fender benders that I've experienced doing this. And, you know, you look at somebody like um, Craig Clyde. He's embracing someone who wants to option Ryan's picture. Now, that person, while she may want to option it, it depends on certain things. She may not be the ideal person for uh, optioning Ryan's picture. Maybe she is. Craig Clyde invited her on set, and he's showing her some things that may actually help her. And we may even get Craig Clyde involved. So things are very organic for a reason. Some things you really do need to be prepared to deal with, and one of them is the paperwork that goes along with this. So, please, if I don't know an answer, believe me, I will be candid enough to tell you, no, you need to go here and check with so-and-so. Most of the time, I can find you an answer you need relatively quickly, and it will be succinct enough whereby you can, you know, you can understand it and, you know, do the dance for yourself and then make a decision. In the end, the writer has to make the decision. Um, in the, I found, but I'm not sure I should mention this corner, 
The Art of Adaptation, Turning Fact and Fiction into Film by Al Books. I think Linda Sager is the author. I'm not positive. Yes, she is. So The Art of Adaptation, Turning Fact and Fiction. This is kind of helpful for folks who surf the Internet looking for story ideas. Oh, my gosh. This week alone, the stories that were on Drudge were unbelievable. I'm sitting there going, I hope some of these writers are looking at this. Because, see, I always think of things sort of backwards, right? What I do is, like, for example, I have someone that I'm trying to help, and I'm really not a good writer mentor, but I can encourage in the right way so that they stay motivated and stay on task. I'm helping this guy with this particular script, and it's really cool. It's about the three wise men. Now everybody knows the story, but you don't know the backstory. And sure enough, not to not to toot my own horn because it's not you guys know me. That's not what this is about. But the guy, he's doing really really well. He got an honorable mention in the contest, and I don't think I had anything to do with that. But I know that my words are keeping him excited and motivated because, as we all know, contest ready is not the same as market ready. So now he sends me the script. I tell him, okay, this is great. Prop. Now get it market ready. Here's how you do it. You cut this, you add this, and he's like, okay, I need chocolate frosting over here. I need a couple of straws over here. I need a milkshake over here. I need a burger over here. Give me a side of prop. He knows what he's got to do to rock this thing up. Here's how I think of things when there's something as common knowledge as three wise men. He listening? Say yes. What I do is I actually thought of an idea for a feature about a young boy or a young girl who actually watched Jesus from a distance, who was not an apostle, who's just a nobody kid who just happened to find this person, Jesus, interesting. And he follows Jesus' journey. It's really about the little boy or girl. I, had to, I couldn't decide which one I told this right or the right. But see, things like that interest me. Things that you don't see really on the, you get the surface of the story, right? The three wise men. But what about the little drummer boy? What's his backstory? How did he come into this thing? So I'm constantly thinking about titles and how people could get, which brings me to an article. This is a really good segue, Barbara. You did a great job on that one. You really did. Thank you. Um, how to write, um, how to develop script ideas. I will send you the link, Michael, if I didn't. This comes from Script Mag, I believe. And it's so cool because they tell you these wonderful tips on how to hone in. There's a certain amount of research you got to do if you're going to write. And they tell you some of the really cool shortcuts as to how to push this aside, this aside, this aside, this aside, and get to things that are interesting. Let me tell you one of the things beginning writers do that is sort of a good idea but kind of a mistake. They write what they know. Now, that's a good thing in fiction. It's actually a very good thing in general. But it's not necessarily something that is going to hook a mass market. And while I'm not asking you to write Spider-Man, I am telling you that you've got to find a universal theme that people can connect with. Telling me a story. I, I got this guy who told me a story. It was a really good pitch. It was about him. He was a juror on a, on a, on a trial. Unfortunately for him, however, though, the trial was very, very much public in his neighborhood, and he didn't have rights to the story. So here he is wasting all of this time when what he should have done was, hmm, if I'm going to write about this, I better find out if I'm allowed to. So you should always ask, can I do this? before you do it. So this article, um, How to Develop Script Ideas, kind of teaches you and gets you gets your good sense of north as to how to find things that you can really hone in on and market. One of the things that seemed important for Robert Powers, and I'm going to talk about one of his scripts, what we expect in the second act, one of the things about Robert Powers is he was so 
prolific in terms of getting things done quickly that he could take time and rewrite. He could get a first draft up, and even though if it was rickety, it didn't matter because he was really into rewrites and really sitting down and honing it and getting it and making it groovy. There's something happening in the second act of Hot that's not firing. I just realized, and I said, did this occur to you? Da-da-da-da-da, and he goes, oh, crap, yeah, let's fix that. Jason Bort, been doing this forever. He sent me um, a, a tweet because he found a typo on Immigrant Immortal. Oh, my God, you guys should really read that script. It's so freaking good. Uh, you know, it's about this uh, fallen angel who's being treated by a shrink. <laughs> and uh, the shrink just thinks he's nuts. Anyway, um, Jason sends me a note saying, I'm going to enter this in a contest, and thanks, you know, thanks for the suggestion. But before I do that, I have to fix this glaring hole I missed. And I said, what was the hole? And he told me what it was. And honestly, I didn't even want to pretend I knew what he was talking about because I didn't. It just went right by me. But he caught it. The point is, getting this stuff ready for market takes time. And people who are in a hurry, who really want to write fast, that's good. But you got to be ready to do rewriting. So if you're going to get stuff to market, you may as well see what? What the market is looking for. Which brings me to... Um, finding your voice for the page. Morphine, oh man. It was like reading Martin Lancaster the first time. It was just so, oh, freaky bad. I mean, in terms of you, but solid. And um, I found his writing to be just quite, quite solid. Yeah, he's, he's got something. In any event, um, when you're looking for your voice, I'm going to tell you something that I don't like to to tell uh, you guys in the audience who know me will know you'll cringe when you hear this okay if you have to say we see we hear then do it i don't like it it's not really done by people who are new in the industry and trying to make their bones but i have found that some people are just very skilled at telling a story and occasionally they will slip into we see and we hear should you do it probably not is it a cardinal rule you're going to get a traffic ticket that would be no but don't it Remember, if you're going to do that, it takes you out of the story for a moment. So you better be sure, right? Okay. So, finding your voice on the page. I will never forget when I read one show. Now, you guys know Tarantino. You've read him. The guy just babbles. He's just he's talking on the page. He just, oh, man. Those things he runs by actors really help him home the story. But he's so fluid that all the typos and all that and the grammar errors you don't matter, right? You don't care. You're dying to know what's on the next page. Well, the same thing happened, and I will never forget when I first read One Shot. Now, I did not know who Lee Child was, did not know he was the best. I knew nothing about One Shot, which then became Jack Reacher. And now I'm a huge Lee Child fan. I read everything about Jack Reacher that I can get my hands on because he's a stud. Okay? And truly, while to his credit, I mean, Tom Cruise did a great job, but, you know, Jack Reacher's 6'5". To, to really, the right kind of person... To play Jack Reacher would be, and I'm, I would love to see suggestions on the forum. Uh, I would like to see who you guys think should be Jack Reacher, actor-wise. A modern-day Lee Marvin would really be ideal, because Lee Marvin, and I was, and I was prompted by this because, of course, Memorial Day. What do I always watch, kids? The Dirty Dozen, only one of the best scripts ever uh, written, one of the best action features ever. And the acting, wow, Cassavetes, what a fox. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great actor. Actually, he really is quite good looking. But find your voice on the page vis-a-vis one shot. You'll notice in a couple of the lines in one shot, it's very subtle, but the writer slipped into second person. Okay, so you've got first person, second person, third person. Right? What's first person? I walked into the store. 
I pulled out a gun. I shot the clerk. What's third person? He walked into the store. He pulled out a gun. He shot the clerk. Second person is like a cookbook. You walk into the store. You shoot the gun. You take the gun. You shoot the clerk. It's like someone's instructing you, right? You take a cup of flour. You take a cup of this. You pour a cup of this. You bake it. It's so-and-so. That's second person. One shot, interestingly, now you have to remember, it's being adapted from a book, right? It became Jack Reacher the film, but it was one shot the screenplay based on one shot the book. I'm going to read the book just for giggles because I've read the script. I've seen the film. Now I want to see, and hopefully by the next show, I will be very prepared to tell you how the screenwriter extrapolated from the book and put it on the page. But it's going to be a daunting undertaking, for the undertaking so please don't hold me to it. I love you guys, and perhaps my time could be better spent doing other things. But you'll notice in one shot when you read it that he slipped into second per- second voice very easily. Uh, you do this because you. It's really subtle, but because the narrative is so driving, you really don't notice it. And when you do see it, you don't care. Why is that? Because you're sucked in. Your job as the writer is not to tell me stuff. It's to show me stuff. I'm working with a director right now who's already produced. He does a lot of B-movies. He's a great guy. He's got super talent. He's got one script under his belt that is just so super cool. Another script he's struggling with. And it comes down to this. Is Barbara right or is Barbara wrong? So he's asking me, how do I know you're right about this? How do I know you're... I said, listen to me and tell me if this makes good intuitive sense to you. And I gave him my notes in certain areas. I said, now, if it doesn't, say no, Barbara, or counter me. Like this business with, you know, DC coverage on Simply Scripts, we're going back and forth, back and forth. He made some exquisite points, a couple of them quite good. Well, in one situation, he wasn't privy to particular details about a producer doing rewrites. I, I couldn't get into some of the details because they're behind the scenes and it's sort of a closed door deal. But he made some excellent points. This is crucial when you're reading your... When you're reading, this speaks to adaptation, when you're reading a book and you're gleaning things to put down, you're going to find the things that are most, that are most visual first because you're going to tell the story in film. Well, all of that said, if you're looking at a screenplay and you're, and you're trying to decide, okay, this saying this, this going out, what intuitively do you know? That is your inner voice. What, what instinctively and based on experience do you know? If something screams no to you, then don't do it. Or if you put it on a page and you say to somebody, I got doubts about this. Can you take a look at it? Have somebody take a look at it for you because here's what's going to happen. It's going to get rewritten anyway. This is what I tried to tell Robert Powers when we're doing um, Legacy, which I'm going to talk to you about. The second act, this is kind of where this is going to find your own voice. Robert Powers said to me, okay, we've got a choice. We can make this Indiana Jones or not. I said, why don't you make it Indiana Jones with a leverage-type cast? And he really bought into that idea hook, line, and sinker. So rather than the lead character, Blake, dealing with the occult sort of by happenstance, Blake, the way Indiana Jones did, you know, it was like, you know, power of God, that kind of thing, right? Blake, in the story of Treasure of the Black Sun, which is, used to be called The Legacy, he had a psychic in his group someone who he really did not believe very much in, but he liked her and he trusted her and he dated her, so he kept her in the group. So the leverage type... So when I was pitching it to this producer over at Paramount, 
it wasn't Paramount, that's the distributor, the company's name was Envision. I'm talking to the producer and I said, you know, it really is a, a, a great script for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's very well crafted, it's got a lot of action. Number two, the characters are very enigmatic. This is going to be something that's not going to be that difficult for you guys to cast. And on top of that, you can shoot it in freaking Napa. You don't have to go all over the place if you don't want to. Most of, most of it can be done in Napa and Canada. The characters, there was no one clear protagonist, which is what I kept hearing at the pitches. You know, you don't have a clear, okay, well, you know what? It's an ensemble piece. That's how it's written. If you guys want to pay my writer to rewrite it, go for it. I'm happy to, to help you with that. But that's what you're looking for in things like point of view and finding your voice on the page. So how did Robert find his voice on the page for this particular story? He wasn't stupid. He beat out Indiana Jones, and he matched Treasure the Black Sun beat for beat. The only thing was he had a couple of extra characters, and he made them work for the story. They offered visual. They offered substance. They offered comic relief, especially the the Jew and the Arab constantly going at each other because of each other's ethnicity. They loved each other, but they kept teasing each other. Yeah, you know, Jews can't play tennis. Yeah, well, you know, Arabs don't like the water. Whatever. It was very funny. It was hysterically, it was well-timed. It was very funny. It popped off the page, and we got great notes on it from whoever read it. Still can't get it set up, but I'm very hopeful. It's the kind of franchise that really could attract a whole new audience for these kind of domestic treasure hunt movies. And, you know, what's interesting about them, it kind of ties to heist films. Heist films are almost always in demand. And I'd like to see these treasure hunt films come sort of back into the frame, mostly because in, in my own world and in my own reality, I'm a huge Mission Impossible person. So anytime I see somebody trying to unearth something or trying to get away with something that's got, you know, four or five characters that are working as a group, I'm digging it. So that's why I like Treasure of the Black Sun so much. And the second act, really, so what you want in the second act is it becomes the wishbone. A little is pulled over here, a little is pulled over there, a little is pulled. You want your, you want your characters really to start to brand themselves, even if it's just a, a, a protagonist and antagonist. This happens to be a group of five. Even if you, if you sit down and you look realistically as, as, as to what has to be shot, you want to give the actors as much meat as possible to get to know their characters. And in the second act, there's a lot of opportunity for that. You know, you got your inciting incident roughly 12, 15 minutes in. The B story is going to kick in around the second act. And you've got your fun and games, which almost always happens in every story, in every script that you see. So if you can take these characters and really make the machine of the story, which ties to the theme, work with the roles, what you're going to find is a whole can of worms opens up and the characters, like I've always said in the past, they may actually start talking for you. And then you're just dictating and writing it down. Uh, I found that uh, point of view, too, when you're writing in the first person, which is, you know, I walked it. Not all the uh, Jack Reacher books are like that. Some of them are third person. I prefer Jack Reacher in the, in, when he's uh, first person. But in the end, when you're finding your voice for the page, and you look at things like second-person POV, like in one shot, if you find yourself attracted to that, try using that voice as an example for one of your next scripts. You'd be surprised. Maybe that's what's been missing in your writing. Maybe you're just not a third person. I was trying to tell this guy who's a client on another script, hey, look, man, when you get right down to it, these are my notes. I'm a girl. You're talking about women, and you're a guy. Take my insight, use it or don't. And as it happened, we have a very good working relationship. It's very professional. So he said, you know what? These really are good notes. But 
this you're talking about a page one rewrite and I said you don't have to do that don't do it I'm just telling you for me to take it out this is where it's got to be and here's the main reason why I mentioned that if you're listening say yes with some stories because they are public domain they're very easy for other people to take doesn't mean they're going to steal it but you can give other people ideas and sometimes the first in really is the best you know sometimes not Anyway, I think I'm going to wrap this show up. I hope I made sense with regarding finding your voice on the page. Really, the, the, the truth of the matter is second person is not for everyone. It's, it, it, and, and the reason why it can be a challenge is in the second act, when the fun and games happens, you're really on the outside looking in. That's kind of the main point. And you really do need a wishbone in your second act. What, again, what do I mean by a wishbone? What happens to a wishbone? It's, t- it's torn in two directions. That makes for conflict. That makes for good reading. That makes for good tension. That makes for wonderful opportunities for rewrites. Yay. Well, everybody, um, it's good to have you back, and it's good to be back. Open Road did take the deal for The Pottery Thief. You could read about it at Open Road. The uh, press release was wonderful. It went to, uh, I don't know, 15,000 outlets were very jazzed because it speaks to the franchise of The Pot Thief in terms of the books, and we have the spec script tied to it. That hopefully will get picked up relatively soon. It should. If it doesn't, I don't know what the hell's going on then. But uh, that was a very exciting deal. The ink is dry on that. We have another option ha- happening this week. As soon as that kind of happens, I'll tell you on the next show. Please, if you have questions, please feel free to hit me. You know you can do that anytime. Sometimes I can answer at length, and sometimes I can't. This is Babs for Babs Buzz thanking Michael, my wonderful sweetheart producer. And a holla out to Brett and Ryan and Martin and Pia. And all you wonderful folks that frequently email me, this is Babs for Babs Buzz, reminding you, you got to write, you better rewrite, because I'll know it if you don't. And don't forget to live your life. Peace.